happening here? Why can't I get into this bottle? I'm getting in this bottle. I'm gonna oh break it open if I have to. I swear to God, I'll throw it against the window. Whiskey, whiskey, the singer's getting sore. We raise the roof now when we're lower in the floor. The band is blistered, but we got a little more. When I say one, two, Welcome to the Whiskey Topic, the weekly podcast that tends to get off topic. My name is Mark Bylock. I'm the author of The Whiskey Cabinet, and my co-host is Jamie Johnson, who runs a private but approachable bourbon club here in Toronto, Canada. You can also find our podcast on the website whiskey.buzz. If you want another song. Welcome to episode 47 of The Whiskey Topic. Jamie, we are three away from the 50th episode. What? I can't wait. There's going to be balloons. I promise you balloons. There will be balloons. Promise me balloons. Don't you ever forget that. <laughs> they don't have to be healing balloons. Because like, like, floaty balloons are going to be tough to do. I don't even know how to do that. Are you cheaping out on me? No, but I got to buy like a canister of helium. I don't know. Can't man. you just buy pre-made balloons like that already have them in it and then walk down the street? It'll be so sweet. They'll be like, oh, look at that man holding mm, all those balloons. Yeah, <laughs> They must be recording a 50th episode of a podcast or something. <laughs> you know, helium's like a, a, a limited resource. Eh? It's going to run out in like 10 years. Oh. Is yeah. that important though? Like it, other than in balloon, the balloon world. Yeah, Do we need yeah. it? Yeah, I think um, x-ray machines or some sort of oh. medical equipment uses like a little bit of helium. But it's mostly uh, Macy's. The Macy's Parade is, buys like oh, half the helium in the world or something. <laughs> got it. Oh, Excellent. Okay. Well, welcome to episode 47. We've got a special guest today, a returning guest. We have Josh Peters, who is the author of The Whiskey Jug on, and that's whiskey with an E. Uh, the whiskey jug on the internet, whiskeyjug.com. Oh, I'll get that right one day. Um, <laughs> you got it. You got I did. There. I did. I uh, one of my favorite it. reviewers online uh, and reviews a bazillion more whiskeys than I ever do. <laughs> Just, uh, Josh, welcome back to the show. Thanks. Happy to be here. Excellent. Thanks for coming back yeah, on. Yeah, thank you. And this is, um, yeah, I've got your page open up right here, and it's every time I look at it, I'm just like, oh. A lot of envy, with, and we'll get we'll get into this in a little bit. But there's a you just did a vertical tasting of rare breed, and uh, yep, that is very envy inducing. So we'll we'll get some information from you on that in a little bit. But I guess we should probably start by finding out what everybody's drinking. Sure. See, yeah. I did it, Mark. I you did, did it. it. I did it early on in the <laughs> podcast, just like you. Hit the cube. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Um, Okay, so, uh, Josh, what are you drinking? Um, I am drinking the the last half of a very generous sample a friend gave me of the Michter's Toasted Barrel. Oh, excellent. And do you like it? Are you a fan? Yeah, it's not too bad. Mark? Uh, I am drinking the... the, Sorry, in the middle of your sip. I got you. (laughs) I know. I know. I was like, I'm still drinking. Uh, No, I started with the... um, Well, we we bought... we brought Josh on because uh, we want to talk about um, like old bottles of whiskey. I don't know if we're going to get to that topic because we're going to be talking about like Elijah Craig and OI statements and and um, I don't know maybe complain about a whiskey manufacturer. Um, but so, so we got a lot on the show. But I am drinking uh, some Crown Royal I got from uh, 1964. So it's a really old old bottle of Crown Royal. Uh, nice little dusty, um, and uh, you know kind of enjoying it. It's a uh, it, it's. It's interesting uh, comparing it to the Crown Royal uh, hand select single barrel. Um, it's actually a little darker, which is which is fascinating. So I guess it's a little older, um, and uh, no, but it's it's a kind of very mellow, sweet 
little bit of rye kind of whiskey. It's not, not too bad. I'm, I'm, you know, don't, don't, don't spend a lot of money on it. Right. But it's, uh, it's a pretty <laughs> decent whiskey. <laughs> How, how'd you get your hands on that? Oh, um, it's a friend of a friend's, uh, was cleaning out his, uh, uh dad's like garage basically. And he, he found a couple of bottles in there. So I, uh, and he's like, Hey, you like whiskey? Are these worth anything? I'm like, no, they're really not. I'm like, they're, they're not worth anything. And you can't even really sell them in Canada anyway. Uh, so he's like, well, here you go. Trade me for something, you know, something newer. And so I did. Nice. That's awesome. And I am drinking Booker's. That was like a disaster to get into. Um, against all odds, I'm drinking Booker's right now. <laughs> you, you struggled with that bottle. You were, you were. Uh... That That's victory sips. That's, that's <laughs> what you're having right now is victory sips. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what it is. Yeah. So um, I'm having a uh, Batch 2015-01, proof. Have I tasted it yet? No. Because I'm a little mad at it because it wouldn't come out of the bottle. <laughs> the plastic on those things is, is no joke. The last no the, joke. The one I got at the end of 2015, the, the No Secret, and then I got uh, this year's first round table, the 2016-01. Yeah. Both of those required like a mechanical engineering degree just to get the plastic off of it. So that I could drink it. I'm so grateful that you said that because I literally could not have felt like a bigger idiot sitting here hacking away at the top of the the plastic with scissors. Like, I, oh, and yeah. like there's plastic everywhere now. <laughs> All right, Jim Beam, we got to fix this. Something, something's <laughs> going on over there. They own Maker's Mark, and Maker's Mark does great with their plastic wax stuff. Just I agree. Copy the because Maker's Mark is, is hand-dipped. These are black. all machine-dipped, I bet you. They're all like, you know, machines are doing it, and it's just not the right way. Oh I don't goodness. know. They could, uh, Makers makes a, it's like a softer wax plastic thing. They yeah. should just, just use the same thing, just dye it black instead of red. I agree. <laughs> I agree, because that and was dangerous. It, there was scissors yeah. and plastic flying in my eye. Honestly, I could be blind right now, you guys. I'd be on my way to the hospital if I wasn't wearing glasses. You know? <laughs> I'm not exaggerating. Can't oh. exaggerating a little bit. Oh. <laughs> just a little bit. It's a good um, thing you had those glasses then. Safety oh first my gosh. and all that. As I said before, uh, it's, it's a good thing your uh, was your first drink of the day and not your <laughs> third. <laughs> no, it's true. Can you imagine trying to get into that nonsense after three drinks? No, you catch your hand off. Maybe that's disaster. why they designed it. They're like, this is so that when you are that to that point, you can't open another bottle. That's right. You, oh. can, you shouldn't be drinking any more 130 Wait, proof if, whiskey, if so we're just going to make it physically impossible. Yeah, if you can't open the bottle, it, you've had too much. <laughs> It's over. <laughs> Just give up for the night. You're done. Go to bed. Try again the next day. It's a feature. It's not a issue. Exactly. <laughs> yes. We've been looking about this all wrong. The the right. the tough to get into waxes actually there for our safety. There you go. This is good marketing, you guys. So, this is good. Thank you, Jim. Yeah, spinning. We're no longer mad. We're, it's now a thank you. <laughs> Matt, Matt Jones is going to call us and be like, guys, come on, come on. Yeah, come on. <laughs> um, so where do you guys want to start today? Um, did we want to, uh, Josh, did we, did we want to, so I, I know Jamie's going to be like, uh, do we want to complain about Elijah Craig's uh, noise statement first, or do we want to complain about the orphan barrel gift horse uh, <laughs> selection first? I just, I want to know, where, where, where are your emotions right now? Where do you feel you, you, you are right now as far as between those two complaints? Uh, the Elijah Craig taking the age statement off is really infuriating infuriating because I mean it, they, they magically bring back the 18 at the same point in time that the age statement disappears so it, it doesn't it doesn't take a genius to realize what they're doing 
of, okay, we can make a ton more money off of the 18 than the 12, so let's reduce the 12 to, to be a no-age statement, keep the same price, and then we'll dump the older stock into making the 18 where we can that we've now released for 150, 180, whatever Whoa. crazy dollars it's going for these days. So it's, it's I don't know, they both enrage me, but it's it's more the fact that they re, they removed the age statement and then keep the price the same. Like when Hibiki did that with the 12 and they put out the Harmony, which side by side, there's a very noticeable difference between the two. And then they leave the price at the exact same price. Mm. I mean, technically, if it's younger whiskey, it should be costing them less to make it in the long term for all their storage and everything. Yeah. Yeah, I um, and, and so I mean, Logic Craig originally, uh, I believe, originally started as a no eight statement whiskey, and then um, they were like, well, you know, eight statements seem to work very well for for Scotch, so they added, you know, they started doing this whole twelve year old statement uh, whiskey, I believe, in the eighties at some point. I can't quite remember, um, but so they started, you know, creating a twelve year old um, bourbon, and at this point, you know, it became. I guess a premium bourbon at the time, but it was Elijah Craig's an affordable uh, bourbon. Now we always have a very bad concept of price up here in Canada, but <laughs> but Josh, you would say Elijah Craig Twelve is, is an affordable bourbon, especially for the 12, age statement. Oh yeah, down here it's super cheap. I mean, for uh, I think it's I picked up my last bottle for like thirty eight, forty bucks maybe, mm-hmm. which is yeah. then you know that kind of ruins things for everyone else when you can buy them that cheap because. You're always comparing that to other releases that come out that are sixty-five, seventy dollars. You're like, eh, I can go get this guy for thirty-eight bucks. Now, now, not only are they changing the uh, eight statements, so now they're going to be, you know, as they put in the press release, it's going to be between eight to twelve year old uh, whiskey, and and they say it's leaning more towards that ten to twelve range. Um, but the other thing is that what they're doing is they're going to make it in larger batches. So before, you know, they made them in like under a hundred barrels. Uh, per batch of 12 year old and now they're going to go to like a few hundred batches of barrels into every you know batch run of Elijah Craig and you know this is you know of course is also going to make it cheaper for them to make um, but it also lets them play with a more consistent flavor profile because now they can like pour in you know a little bit more of this a little bit more of that and get a more consistent flavor profile because I, I would say if there's one thing with Elijah Craig 12 I'm, I'm not a big fan of the, the 12 so I'm, I'm actually wondering if I might like the noise statement better only because I, I, I find the 12 has got just kind of like a dull oakiness to it that i'm not a big fan of i want a little bit more sharpness i want a little bit more, more maybe even maybe even a little bit more youth so i'm i'm slightly optimistic only because i'm not a fan of the 12 as is i'm like well maybe you know the non ice statement one will give me a little bit more of a youthful whiskey that i'll like maybe i when whenever it comes out uh whenever i'm in the u.s i guess next time i'll i'll give it a taste but yeah i know jamie what are what are your thoughts on this it's funny because like it caused such an uproar um, on on Twitter when it happened, and and it just it seems like okay another one. Like it just feels like this is a story I've heard before, and I'm probably going to hear it again. And so I just am trying not to get too emotionally involved in it because I think it's just where whiskey is is heading. And so I'm you know I'm sort of being as as pragmatic and like as realistic about it as possible because this won't be this won't be the first of some of our you know favorite uh cheapies that like 
get well i mean it's not super super cheap here but it's one of sort of like uh it it won't be the first and it won't be the last of of them trying to sort of do this thing with uh with bourbon so i'm just hoping that it will still taste good and then i'm i'll be fine it'll i just i'm excited to try it i'm excited to try and 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 see what see what happens i mean i guess for me whatever puts more like whiskey out there because i feel a little worried like like we're suffering oh especially here in ontario like the allocations are so bad and things are looking a little bleak i'm just happy to get some some whiskey at this point and and i'm i'm optimistic i'm hopeful i like everything that comes out of heaven hill i really there's nothing i i really like the their distillery and and i'm I'm hopeful they'll do it the right way so i don't know i'm remaining positive i'm trying my best <laughs> so long as it tastes good that's that's the yeah. that's the biggest key yeah but the thing that that always drives me nuts is when they remove the age statement, dump a bunch of younger whiskey in it. It doesn't taste as good when you sit them side by side, and they keep the price the same, or yep. they raise it on the new no age statement. Well, that's statement. unacceptable. And that's, that, <laughs> and that's raising the, the that, price is not, not. Yeah, that's the thing that always drives me yeah. nuts. I mean, I don't. The actual age statement, mm-hmm. so long as they're putting out a really good whiskey, the age statement doesn't really matter. Right. Just because it's all about, you know, balance and flavors and everything else. But it, it's when they do these things where they're like, okay, you used to get a 12. Now it's going to be 8 to 12. So technically it's going to be, it would be, it would be labeled as an 8. And it's not as good. And we're raising the price 5 bucks. It's like, great. You lower the quality and you raise the price at the same time. Yeah. That, those are the things that, that, that get me pissed off. Now, and yeah. Justin, you're absolutely right. One of the uh, yeah. on Whiskey Cast, they had uh, the they had an interview with uh, with uh, Heaven Hill, and they 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 did. They were completely honest. They were like, "Well, this means we're going to be able to sell more 18," um, mm-hmm. and that that was a big uh, big argument for them. But now, um, so the the kind of logical side of me says, "Well, and this is something you know I, I've said before." Mark Mark Gillespie has said other others have said this as far as this argument. It's like. It's it's true that you know this is this is exactly what's happening. They're they're taking you know a statements away, similar price points with the non a statement whiskey. Um, but what do you say to the argument that uh, the you know economics? This is the way it works: supply and demand. So in the eighties and nineties, and even in the early two thousands, whiskey wasn't in so much demand. So you know Elijah Craig was giving you that twelve year old whiskey because they were desperate to sell. They're just like, please buy. It. We're going to put an eight statement on. It. We'll do whatever you want. Just buy our our bourbon. And the same thing happened in Scotland. They were just started selling eight statements. They had eighteen year old Scots. They're like, "Crap! What do we do with this? We're just gonna nobody's buying it. We have no, we didn't bottle it for eighteen years because nobody wanted Scotch." And so they started bottling eighteen and twenty five year old whiskey for a relatively affordable price. Uh, but now, you know, we know that the supply demand curve is off kilter, um, and you know this will resolve itself. But uh, right now, it's off kilter. There's just so much demand. So by you know. They have two choices. The one choice is taking like Elijah Craig Twelve and increasing the price. I mean, I think that's you know, you know, it used to be a forty dollar product. Well, if we're going to continue making this, it's going to be a fifty dollar product, or removing the age statement and going for it. And then I, you know, and I agree with you. It's always going to be a different flavor profile. The Twelve and the No Age Statement Elijah Craig are not going to taste the same. Um, what do you say to that argument that we're simply on the bad side of a supply and demand curve right now? I don't disagree with that at all. I mean. 12 years ago when they were distilling the barrels that were going into the 12 year now, they had no idea this is, we were going to be in such a crazy 
demand for it like we are right now. And, and from a pure business perspective, I get that. I mean, I know that 25 years ago, McAllen had no clue that this was going to happen, so they didn't set aside a whole lot of 25-year-old barrels. And so for them, you know, they've, they've increased the Mac 25 to being a $1,200 uh, bottle because, you know, they don't have as much as, as they used to. So, I mean, and, and I completely understand that. From, from, from my perspective, it's just how they treat the customers. That's, that's the part that always gets my ire, is when I see them doing things that don't seem to work at all in the favor of the customer. Right. And, and a lot of people were upset with uh, Bernie Lubbers, the, um, the whiskey professor, also band ambassador for Heaven Hill. Uh, and he, you know, back in, the, in 2015, he said, no, 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 Elijah Craig is staying the way it is. Mm-hmm. Even though we moved the H statement to the back of the bottle, that doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, less than a year later, um, you know, we see the results. And, and interestingly enough, Eagle Rare has the same thing. And, you know, Buffalo mm-hmm. Trace very specifically came to us and said, no, no, no. A statement is moving to the back for labeling reasons, but it's mm-hmm. we're not going to go no A statement. Um, so it's that piece that's a, that that also bothers, you know, whiskey connoisseurs because they're like, well, you know, I mean, now you're like playing with us. You're like moving the A statement to the back so that we don't think it's as important anymore. But you're keeping twelve years, so if we look, we can find it. Oh, and now there's no A statement on the back anymore. It's gone. Yeah, and uh, I think like for whiskey people, transparency is so important. It's so important that people know where their stuff is coming from. I think that for if you know when you look at where um, where the most sort of um, anger comes from, it's when people sort of or distilleries or whoever tries to pull the wool over a consumer's eyes, um, or tries to bend the truth or fib or or about the juice, you know, sort of in the bottle people people will find out what what is going on and so when you say like oh no that's never going to happen it's always going to be this and then it turns around and and it's like oh well they took the age statement off anyways it just it doesn't it just sort of the trust gets a little bit shaken and then people start to sort of wonder you know in other ways where aren't they being completely honest so Mm -hmm. i think that's part of it too yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's that was my whole thing with with the with the gifted horses that they just from the outset it was just one lie after another, and that was all compounded by everything until they finally, uh, you know, enough berating they released the final you know what the actual blend mix was, and then when you looked at it, you're like, everything surrounding it just they tried to they focused so heavily on that 17 year component which was you know, 38.5% of the entire whole. And they just focused on it so hard so that you'd be like, yeah, you know what? I'll go ahead and give you 50 plus dollars for this. Josh, let, let's take a step back on that one because, you know, not all of our listeners might be aware of, of the Gifted Horse. So um, the Gifted Horse is uh, part of the Orphan Barrel series of, of bourbons, which are whiskeys that are released by Diageo. Um and um, you guys correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but there's a, what about four? This would be the fifth release of Orphan Barrels. Is that correct? Um, let's see. They had the two rhetorics, Forged Oak, Profit, uh, Blowhard, Blowhard, and, and Barter House. So yeah, this is seven. 
Okay, yeah. seven. There we go. So there's been several different releases, and a few of them have had controversies already. Um, uh, one of them being that you know they released one of the ones that they said, "Oh, this is Stitzer Weller whiskey," uh, but it turns out it was just aged at the warehouse. It wasn't actually distilled there, and so there's there's already been con- like whiskey connoisseurs have already have a very kind of you know standoffish. Um, uh, look at the Orphan Barrel selection, and uh, but you know overall, like some of them are really good whiskey, some of them are there. There's, there's you know there's definitely a range there, uh, but then the Orph- Orphan Barrel Gifted Horse is the first one that's just labeled as a whiskey. It's not a bourbon, which you know right there it says okay, it doesn't meet some requirements as far as um, you know what the age statements on it is, whether it's 51% corn, whether it comes from you know different uh, distilleries and how it's been made. So already it's not um, it's not a bourbon, which already like quality wise is. Already a, an issue as far as as far as uh, perception goes, and then secondly, it's um, uh, they they started changing the story as to what the whiskey was in it. So, uh, Josh, take us from there. So, uh, Orphan Barrel, uh, sorry, Gifted Horse gets released. Uh, the, originally, we were told what. So originally, it said on, you know it says on the on the side of the bottle that it's you know roughly thirty nine percent seventeen year old Kentucky straight bourbon and sixty one percent mix of a four year corn and a Indiana bourbon. And so the really focus on that, you know, seven, 17 year old spirit. And then in all the press releases, you know, they really talked about that 17. Oh, we accidentally mixed this 17 in with some other stuff. And th- the fact that you call out that particular one and lump the other two together kind of leaves the customer to try and figure out, well, what am I actually drinking here? Because mm-hmm. before they released the actual mix, that it was, you know, 50. It was like 50.5% or 51% bourbon, uh, MGP bourbon. I was thinking it's got to be at least 51% four-year corn whiskey. And a bottle of Mellow Yellow is another four-year corn whiskey by Heaven Hill. That's 12, 13 bucks down here. So if half the bottle is only worth six bucks, like that, that's, you're already looking at a really poor valuation from that standpoint. Right. So, I mean, that, and, and then from there, the, the story they just started giving out about, oh, it was, it was an accident here, but I don't know. When I was at the release party, the, the rep was talking about how, you know, oh, they made this one mistake, and then that led to this other mistake. And it kind of sounded like there was, it, it, the way he described it was really funny. And he was talking about a bunch of pissed-off Scotsmen running around <laughs> and a, a pissed-off Scottish lady yelling and, like, all this stuff. And the way he described the event sounds like that they have some, that in order to, do the vattings of whiskey inside the Stitzelweller uh, bottling hall that they have some sort of weird Rube Goldberg machine set up where like it's set off this weird chain of events and one person <laughs> ran into something and suddenly you've got small Scottish people screaming. Like it was just the craziest <laughs> description that he, that he gave about the events of this. It just sounded like something out of like, I don't know, if Willy Wonka was written by a Scotsman. Like it was just this crazy, crazy tale. And so... Um, but was it a serious tale? So I, I read your, you know, we'll, we'll put a link to the Whiskey Jug uh, link on here, and I, I read the article. Um, I wasn't clear whether they were being theatrical, as in this wasn't a very obvious theatrics, or whether they I were actually being serious with the I story. Wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't, I, I honestly wasn't certain myself. Like when I, okay. like everyone at the table that I was sitting with, I was there with a couple other, a couple other friends, and we were just standing, we were sitting there just look, sharing glances at each other going, what the hell is happening? <laughs> is this, is he saying this is real? Or is this like, is this the, the bedtime story version of it? Like, it, we, we had no clue. It was just really funny listening to him retelling 
the story of it happening. So, but it was, yeah, it was very strange. And, um, I mean, that's, and that's one where, you know, if it was an accident, you should have been way up, upfront about everything from the get go. Like why, why play these games? I mean, yeah. I mean, I understand why they removed the, you know, this is the, the first orphan bear release that doesn't very prominently place an age statement on it. Cause if they had put one, it would have said four year. Right. Since right. it's, you know, four-year corn whiskey and bourbon that's in it. So it would have had to say four-year. And if it had said the gifted horse four-year blend of straight whiskeys on the front label, mm-hmm. nobody would lay down $50 for that. Nope. So yeah. they remove all that information, call it an American whiskey, throw it, which is like the great catch-all for, for, the, for the category, and then put some information on the back and heavily focus on that there is some 17-year in here. But... It's also funny, this is also the first Orphan Barrel release that isn't really an Orphan Barrel. Right, I mean, right. They it's didn't not actually found barrels somewhere. They, yeah. yeah, they didn't stumble upon some four-year-old MGP corn and MGP <laughs> bourbon in the Stitzel Weller warehouse. Like, that didn't happen. It's like, oh, Pappy thought of this and traveled back in time and got it and put it here just for us for this mixing. <laughs> so, you know, the other question is, what were they doing with those other bottles and why were those other whiskeys even in there what what is diageo mixing or putting together with four-year corn whiskey that that i mean that to me is the the other underlying issue is you know when they're telling these stories is you know tipping their hand to these things is what what are they doing with this yeah i mean you would you'd i you'd think that it would be maybe the new bullet bourbon is going to be mgp and so that's that's why they have the four-year bourbon there but who knows there's all sorts of other products that that use it the four-year corn whiskey, what's that going to be going into? And why was it, why did they have just vats of it laying around mm-hmm. to be mixed in with this 17-year-old? I mean, the, the whole thing is just weird, a really weird scenario. Right. So I'll, um, you know, if, you, if you're not too familiar with the uh, way the whiskey rule, uh, the way American whiskey is defined is um, American whiskey as a category has very loose interpretations of what whiskey is. You can add a little bit of flavoring, you can add sugar to it, you can add peach juice to it. It's a very kind of broad category. So if you're looking, if you're a whiskey like purist where you want to drink like whiskey with no additives, you want to, you want to drink a straight bourbon or a bourbon rather or a straight rye. Uh, you want to have something that you know comes from one distillery and you want to have something that you know hasn't have any coloring in it or any other flavoring to it. It's just distilled whiskey. It's um, aged in barrels. It has a certain amount of corn in it. And and the recipe is is decided. And, of course, Baldwin Bond is the same thing. A very, you know, a lot of rules come into Baldwin Bond so that, you know, the whiskey has to follow these, these segment of rules. So when they um, – and then the Orphan Barrel, the, the, the whole marketing behind it was like, oh, these were barrels that we found. And uh, we decided, hey, you know, we, we didn't know we had these, but, wow, this is amazing whiskey. So, like, this is like a very kind of, like, found, you know, um, a serendipitous uh, invention uh, where they sold several different brands of orphan barreled whiskey. Now, this, as Josh you said, this isn't an orphan barrel. This was, um, they claimed to be an accident. And I think Josh, I think I think he nailed it. I mean, I in Josh's article, I think he he nailed it. He, um, you basically said, well, it's you you figure that they found some, they had some over oaked stuff. That they were like, this doesn't taste good. We can't sell the seventeen year old bourbon. Um, and the only way we can possibly make this decent is by mixing in a lot of young bourbon to give it to kind of like that get that oakiness out. 
Um, and so, I, Josh, I believe that's, I don't, sorry, I won't put words in your mm-hmm. mouth. That's basically what you implied. You're like, eh, you know, they, mm-hmm. it was crappy bourbon. They wanted to make use of it. This is the only thing they could do. This is, that was my theory when I, when I first read about it. And then when we were at the event, the, the rep then, he, he, get, he, st- he said that exact same thing. He's like, you know, sometimes what you do when you, when you have a whiskey is, you know, it'll say 12 years on the label, but it's got some really over-oaked 20-year-old in there, or 25-year-old, and then it's got the 12 years, the base, and they put these in so that you can take these over-oaked bourbons that you'd have to dump, and you mix them in to give an oaky character. But but we did not do that here. That was not, the, and he just and he suddenly clarifies like that that was that is not what happened here. This was a legitimate accident. So it was weird that he even brought that up because that, that was exactly what I was thinking happened. And when you when we, when I was drinking it, it was so tannic and dry. Like, have you ever accidentally seeped tea for too long? Like you oh, forgot yeah. about it, and then you pulled yeah. the bag out. You know, ten minutes later, and you sip it anyways, and your mouth goes dry instantly. Yeah. Yeah. from how tannic and tough it is that's exactly what it was like when we were sitting mm-hmm. around sipping that was it was so tannic and dry that it tasted like this is some over oaked stuff like this is this has so so much of that tannic dryness to it and, so, and to add to your theory um after you pushed diageo for the recipe you find out that 38.5 percent of it is the 17 year old whiskey and the rest is a mix as you said of four-year-old whiskey either bourbon or corn whiskey um, which means if you're getting dry notes and it's only 38.5% of 17-year-old whiskey, what was that whiskey tasting like before this? Yeah, that mm-hmm. thing had to taste like you were licking the inside of an oak drawer. Like that, sure. That, that, it must have been not good, would be my guess. I mean, obviously I wasn't there. I didn't witness the, the panic and terror that ripped through <laughs> the bottling hall when the accident happened, and nor did I get to taste it before, but that's just... From from my experiences, that's how I. That's just my cynical theory on everything. Well, I have a question for you guys that sort of goes along with this storytelling piece because storytelling is so important in whiskey, and it's you know it's part of the reason why there's such a romance around it. Is you know when you go to distilleries, there's always a story, and when you drink you know whiskey. There's you know you know I'm looking at the Booker's bottle, and you know the handwritten label and like everything's got a story at what point um do we have to stop and say like okay that's enough story or um you know there there's so many uh sort of not accusations but you know there's arguments all the time who who was elijah craig and did he really do what heaven hill says he did or you know basil hayden or and there's these these figureheads and all this stuff at what point does it sort of affect um you know the whiskey itself is it you know is it is there such a thing as almost too much storytelling in whiskey where it affects you know sort of outcome because it sounds to me like this is it they, they literally wanted to weave a story. They were desperate for a story because they had nothing else. And it literally sort of affected the whole piece of it. And it kind of ruined the whiskey in a mm-hmm. sense. But for, it yeah. happens all the time, this storytelling. So it's sort of one of those things where when's too much, when is it too much storytelling? When, when the story is better than the whiskey... you've got too much storytelling right (laughs) that is a great answer that is a great answer (laughs) i don't think i have anything else to add to that that's yeah no that's that's right yeah 
yeah, I, it's, it's, it's a great point. I mean, I think, you know, the, I, I like the comparison. So I think when we've, um, we look at comparisons between like Heaven Hill, like you said, Elijah Craig and, and Williams, and then you look at like Buffalo Trace and, you know, the Stags and the uh, Taylors and that it's, um, when we talk, when we go to Buffalo Trace, they're, they're talking about building brands and almost in a way of like, they're looking at honoring the people that were part, you know, are part of a deep and rich history of bourbon. And they're looking to honor those the, those historic individuals with excellent whiskey. And, you know, with Buffalo Trace, I would say there's a very strong tie. So, you know, Taylor used to own, you know, there's like mm-hmm. an ownership ties to make the whiskey mm-hmm. on that uh, on that property. Um, but then there's the other piece where like Heaven Hill just kind of made up Elijah Craig. We're like, well, not made up the person, but we're like, yeah, this nobody claimed this Maybe. name. Yeah. 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 And, uh, and this is what we're doing. Um, I, you know, when, when, there's yeah. a difference there, right? I mean, when, when you have historical documents and things that show that your act, the, the story you're telling isn't true, I think that maybe there, there's time for some adjustments when, mm-hmm. you know, your local historical society is like, um, actually, that never <laughs> happened. And, and they can prove it. That, that's when you need to change some, change some things. Um, but you can still have a healthy amount of storytelling and legend around all your whiskeys. I mean, one of the, the brand I always go back to on this is um, High West. Every bottle they have has a great story about, you know, why do they call it the double rye? And, you know, the Valley Tan, why does it have a picture of Porter Rockwell on it? And why is it called Valley Tan? It's just amazing. It's a great story. And then you go to their website and there's everything you could ever want to know about the actual whiskey itself there mm-hmm. on the website. So you get... You get the you get the fun, you get the fantasy, you get the story, but in no way does their fun and the story is is it any way impactful uh, or you know mm-hmm. untrue about what's actually happening with the whiskey. And then all the the details for the nerds are on the website, mm-hmm. so you get the best of both worlds. And and I've always been a huge fan of High West for you know for that being open, saying yeah we you know we we never distilled this. This is where it came from. But you know what? We're going to put jackalopes on our bottles and have fun telling, <laughs> talking about the mixture of two things. And here's our boar Ryan. And, you know, they're going to talk about jackalopes singing on the high plains and everything. But in no way do they say the jackalopes came in and distill it and add magical fairy dust <laughs> to the bourbon. You know, it's just it's a fun story right. that goes with drinking the whiskey. But when it comes down to the details of the whiskey, they, you know, they're as open as they can be about it. Um, that's a great point, and I think the the one difference is a generational generational difference here, where um, the the older older whiskey drinkers really care about the story, um, and I think the younger drinkers care about the authenticity, and they want the actual story. So they want to. That's a great example. They want to actually know about the whiskey, the technical details of it. Um, but Jamie, when, you know, you do whiskey tastings all the time as part of, as far as mm-hmm. as part of bourbon thing. Um, what's, what's your audience like? Like, do they care that Elijah Craig was a real person or they're just like, whatever, it's, it's fine. I don't care. It's just give me a whiskey I enjoy. Like what, what's your sense of this? Um, I think it's, for me, it's mostly been about what's in the bottle. You know, you can, you can tell them, you know, cause you can, if you're doing a a flight of, you know, five different whiskeys from five different distilleries, there's no way that you've got enough time to go through the history and, you know, the legend behind each and every one of them. So, um, you know, we try to hit on some of the more interesting pieces, um, 
like you know about Elijah Craig or whoever he was or whatever but people sort of those are generally sort of forgettable sort of tidbits and and people really get into what's in the bottle instead I think and um that's so you know to weave a, a tale I think is is a great thing and to make it interesting and engaging and I think that's part of you know drinking whiskey is to be able to talk about it and whether or not you know Elijah Craig is who Heaven Hill says he is or Basil Hayden or whoever um whether or not it's really true, I'm not actually, I'm not, I'm not going to take anyone to task for it. You know, it's, you know, there's always a little bit of room for, for that sort of romance. But I, when it starts to affect, um, you know, when the storytelling goes so far as to, you know, sort of ruin the transparency of what's in the bottle um, and saying, you know, you distill it in this little craft uh, distillery, you know, with your own two hands from your great grandmother and grandfather's, you know, moonshine recipe. And then, you know, it's all in gp stuff then that's a problem that is you know that is storytelling completely gone wrong but you know i think yeah for me the storytelling is kind of a a fun little piece but at the end of the day if you're not transparent about what's what's in your bottle and how it's been made then you're gonna lose like you're just gonna lose sort of credibility like top to bottom yeah, you almost want no transparency over too much in, in some respects, right? Because you're like, well, whatever. But you know, but this also this also actually raises an interesting question uh, about like in Scotland. One thing in Scotland you can't do is you can't you can't identify individual barrels and how old they are. So, for example, in this case, what what uh, Diageo did that would be completely legal in Scotland because you couldn't say on the bottle this has 17 year old something. And the reason why they created that rule is because they had a problem where. Uh, marketers were like saying, oh, you know, this whiskey has 25-year-old scotch in it. Meanwhile, it does, I mean, maybe it did one day, maybe it does that day, but it's like such a small percentage, you can't sell that bottle, right? So there there are rules in different countries based on different experiences. And I'm wondering if if Diageo is just really pushing that. Like, do they have essentially, as you said, Josh, a four-year-old whiskey and have it be seventeen year old. Have have them have that seventeen year old eight statement on that bottle. Whether or not they're pushing that that the limitations of what's what's legal or what's possible. Yeah, I, I definitely think that they're pushing what what's legal. I mean, they're they they're ex, they're obviously experts in what they can get away with. So, I I think they're just pushing that envelope here. If, if we had the same rules as what. Um, are laid out in in you know Scotland, for example. This would have been a very different release. Um, all right. Well, I I let's move on. I think um, I think we all get it, right? We're 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 good. We're uh, we've 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 ranted. I feel we've ah. adequately ranted. We have. <laughs> Diageo is taken to task right now. That never <laughs> happens on this podcast. No, oh never, never. <laughs> So I funny. Swear. Mark was super excited to. He was like, "Yeah, finally gonna we're gonna be able to rant against Diageo." <laughs> well, they have some life. You know what? I, I feel like Diageo is, is really funny because around, especially around Scotch circles, Diageo there's definitely love hate relationship because right. Diageo does own some of the best single malt Scotch. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you look at the Lagavulins, the Talisker's, like it's really excellent. If you're a single malt Scotch drinker, like yes, this is great Scotch, and and they've kept the quality. Like I mean, I you know, there's there's definitely. Um, shenanigans going on in, in certain areas, but as far as the single malt scotch brand, they've they've kept the quality and they've kept that that. So on the one hand, yay Diageo, <laughs> um, and you know Diageo was a big part, at least the early 
early part of Diageo, before it was called Diageo, was a big part of why scotch became very popular because they had the different flavor profiles, they had the different distilleries that created, you know, one was peated, one was sherry, one was this, one was that. Like, they did a very good job, really, the founding fathers in a lot of ways of modern scotch. Um, at least the company before Diageo was. Mm-hmm. And then Diageo, you know, the companies joined with Guinness and then this became Diageo. And now, you know, this kind of stuff happens. And you're like, hmm. And it's been happening in Scotch as well. So you're just right. like, hmm. <laughs> but Is anyway, um, let's talk about wild turkey. I mean, everybody who listens knows that I'm a wild turkey fan. It's my favorite distillery. It's my favorite stuff. Um, and rare breed, even though we do not get it in Ontario, which is a shame. Um it was my first drink after you know my month my dry month and um it's definitely a go-to bottle for me whenever i'm in the states or whenever my husband's in the states to grab and bring back and i am so jealous and excited josh that for you that you got to do (laughs) kind of a wicked awesome vertical tasting of rare breed with you know, some people that I'm assuming are your, you know, very best friends. Um, and if they're not your very best friends, they should be your very best friends because <laughs> they got lots of good stuff. <laughs> they do have really good stuff. You know, I... Um, yeah, so tell yeah, us I mean, about I've, that. I've never... That look, the picture alone, oh my gosh, is amazing. <laughs> yeah, so we had 11 different rare breeds that night. Yeah. So expanding everything. Uh, there were a couple expressions we cut out because it was it's kind of accepted that they're basically the same uh the same blend of whiskeys so there wouldn't be any real difference and no, right. so there's no sense in putting them in but so we hit all the 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 main so, uh, josh can you actually before you begin can you explain um how rare breed is released as far as kind of how many batches they release or how many times a year and, and that kind of thing first so i don't know how many so they I don't know how many batches they, they do or like how many barrels they blend, et cetera, but they'll do these huge runs of just massive uh, blends of barrels. And then they used to carry a number on them. So it'd be like WT-01-97 or W-T-01-96 and, and, and so on. Um, but they actually, re- they actually removed that uh, this year. Uh, the one right before was uh, WT-03RB and then this the the latest one, the one that came out just the end of twenty fifteen, doesn't actually have a batch number on it anymore, which is odd. Mm-hmm. But um, so they'd put them out in these these batches. So you'd have these massive batches that they'd blend together and then bottle and put out for a couple of years or or a year or two or something. And and so you'd have you know basically the same blend of barrels for the next year or two or however long until they ran out of that batch, and then they'd put out another one and. Um, They've been doing that for, oh, I think the first one came out, I think, 91, I want to say. I think that's when it came out, like, 90, 91, I believe, is when the first one came out. Um, and then from then, you know, they've just kept blending in bigger batches. And so so since it's a, a barrel-proof bourbon on top of that, so there's no water added, so you're getting the full character of these barrels that have a, a wide variety of uh ages in them so it's always been a no age statement whiskey but you know that the point is it's a barrel proof bourbon that they've been trying to blend to really capture the wild turkey character at that time yeah and this is a you know i mean if you get in much deeper into whiskey the the biggest thing is like batch variations so you know mm-hmm. you're you know the 
the sense is, you know, every batch, and I think you also did this about with Knob Creek, you're like, you know, every batch of whiskey that's created is going to be a little different. And, you know, there's variations in that. You know, maybe the batch is a little different. Maybe that bottle you purchased was handled a little differently. But there's there's always going to be these slight variations in the whiskey. And um, and so what you did is you went through all these all these batches of rare breed and you started ranking them uh, based on flavor profile mm-hmm. on a blind test. Um, and then you figure out the results. And, and Jamie, I don't know if you read the article, but like, you know, Josh's method of like, pouring in these whiskeys blind and then swapping them around sounds very similar to what we do regularly when we do blind tastings on the podcast. Um. <laughs> but but Josh <laughs> takes notes, unlike me, so it, it worked out fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, we, I mean, that, that's how we like to run all, all of these type of, of meetings. Um, so for, for this one and the, and the last one where we did a whole flight of Wild Turkey 101s uh, doing the same thing, you know, I, I haven't been lucky enough in my dusty hunting to actually find old wild turkey. I've only, so, so I've always been the guy bringing the new stuff and um, hopefully, and, and, and lots of food. <laughs> yeah. You know, supplying That's, what yeah. I can. That's but right. um, yeah, I've been lucky to have friends that, you know, are, are as passionate about wild turkey as, as, as I've been. They've just been a whole lot luckier in their dusty hunting. Um, <laughs> But yeah, we anytime we do something like this, or even for the the Scotch group that I'm in, malt, uh, one of the Scotch groups I'm in, Malt Nuts, we we always do this where everything's blinded, so we, or semi-blind because we know it's all rare breed. But then yeah, we'll pour them out into other decanters or into, uh, in like in this case, the the rare breed into smaller bottles, and hide you know, and then put just a, a number on them on the bottom and a, a letter on the top so that that way we can know which one corresponds with which, but that way you can also, it removes that bias of, I brought this bottle, because you always want your bottle to be the best one. So <laughs> it, it, it removes that, and it also helps, you know, for in this instance, and when we did the Wild Turkey 101, it was really, you know, it, it was really eye-opening for a lot of people in the group to see how well the current stuff performs against old against the old stuff because there's a, there's always that perception this is the thing I, mm-hmm. I find so interesting in these is that there's always this perception that older you know whiskeys the dusties etc are always better and it's something that's kind of especially in bourbon culture become very entrenched in the way that we we think and talk about things like oh national distillers stuff is really good and uh, it's all right, you know. I've got a couple bottles of Bourbon Deluxe, and you know, from the '80s and '70s, and it's all right. I mean, it's big butterscotch bomb, but it's outside mm-hmm. of that, it's not super complex or anything. And and some of these old wild turkey rare breeds, they they were all right, but the new stuff from some distilleries really popped. And for this example, like both in the 101 and the rare breed tasting, the the current version showed incredibly well against these bottles that are sometimes esteemed to be legendary bottles and that's that's been the most eye-opening in in both those circumstances so um, obviously distilleries have you know ups and downs and i think that wild turkey right now we're hitting back on they're heading back up into an upswing so they're to me it seems like you know things like this are really fun to do because you can kind of map out when the distillery was on an upswing versus a downswing because they all have those you know highs and lows as they're as they're going on so that's the thing I like the most about doing these types of, of tastings over a broad period of time is just being able to see that. 
Yeah, and that's great news. I mean, it's 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 nice to uh, it's nice to hear that, especially since I'm such a wild turkey fan to to be able to go online and and read you know um, this sort of stuff and sort of feel like a little comforted like oh you know all the whiskey news out there is bad allocations are bad prices are high things are terrible <laughs> and uh rare breeds a, a great offering uh from wild turkey and it's doing well and wild turkey's doing great and so mm-hmm. it's one of those things where you hear so much negative that it's nice to kind of get a, a nice little piece of positive news yeah yeah and it's very consistent what we've been hearing kind of on the insider side of whiskey where uh, the distillery really has been, you know, last several years working on cleaning up a lot of the part of the process in whiskey making. So they've been really working on, you know, kind of cleaning it, cleaning things up through every step. So I think that that just shows you that all the uh, all the you know energy and time they've been putting into that distillery has been working very well. And and it's always been a delicious product. But to see, to hear that is very uh, it's a very positive note. Yeah. It is. Yeah. I mean, the the next thing I want to I want to do is I want to do another do. Uh, Put together another wild turkey one that's like my, my dream would be the epic wild turkey like where we oh get together like some traditions and a legend and mm-hmm. uh, a tribute and all and do all of those bottles against a couple of new ones to do those blind i think that'd be awesome. fun that would be great that those are the dreams i have at night <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, and it's super interesting to, to hear that um, sort of uh, there wasn't sort of a, a, a standout winner that people sort of um, like different ones. Um, mm-hmm. And it says here, like at the 101 tasting, um, there was sort of a clear uh, preference, but this there way was. it was sort of, yeah. Yeah, at the 101, the cheesy gold foil just... <laughs> destroyed it it was so funny everybody just named it the number one of the night and then the export everyone named it the worst of the night so it was really i've never been in a scenario where there was a clear-cut winner and a clear-cut loser at a Uh tasting it's usually like this where it's all across the board and you know people who like certain things kind of gravitate but to see everybody raise their hands all at once when on the cheesy gold foil was crazy amazing (laughs) amazing that's awesome um, so yeah, I mean, we'll post the, uh, the wild turkey, the rare breed, um, article cause it's very cool and, um, it looks like an awesome night. So after 11, you must've felt pretty great. Oh, <laughs> I was, I was, I was, yeah. Luckily yeah. We, we had a turkey feast going on at the same Good. time. So <laughs> had, had some nice padding, but yeah, that was 11 barrel proof bourbons all in a row was or actually 12 because we did have a legend there that was that that was a i I will say it was hard work yeah it was hard work (laughs) (laughs) yeah no that's awesome um (laughs) um josh what else have you tasted recently that you've been really because i I know you're usually like 40 days ahead or behind rather on your vlog with what you've um already written about so what Mm -hmm. what else have you been what's been on a recent scope that you've really enjoyed um you know that's kind of tough to say i've i've had a bunch of stuff recently i didn't like so there's a bunch See, of negative reviews bad coming. News. <laughs> <laughs> no. There's a lot of bad reviews coming. Um, um, hmm. You, you, <laughs> you posed a really oh boy, good question. Oh boy, this is a bad sign. Whoa. No, <laughs> no, like 
it's uh, yeah i don't know <laughs> that's so funny hey if that's the way it is that's the way it is i think that's that's fine too hopefully well, so in oh, like six months time your answer will be like i've had the the last couple i've had have been amazing yeah hopefully well actually there there is one there's something that's coming out soon mm-hmm. i think i can mm-hmm. talk about it i'm pretty sure yeah, i'm like 99 percent sure I, I it's okay for me to to mention it but um Someone here in LA is importing a rice whiskey, and uh, for full clarity, he is he is a friend of mine and from Japan, and it's huh. actually I got samples from him. He's like, just try these. Let me know what you think about them. And I was like, holy crap, these are good. They're weird. They're different, yeah. right. but they're good. So that huh. that I'm actually really excited to see start showing up. It's you know unfortunately it's going to be mostly California and. Mm-hmm. Like K and L, I know is going to get a uh, probably they're probably going to carry it. You can and they ship, but um, like that was really I got really excited about that when I got to try it from him because mm-hmm. it's different. It's very different being a, a rice whiskey. There's that there is another rice whiskey on the market called Kikori, mm-hmm. and that stuff is terrible. It's like sake perfume. So. <laughs> No, his his stuff's really good. So I was really excited by that, uh, getting to try that recently. Um, I'll tell you the, the thing I got really excited about the other day is, and this this kind of dovetails into the dusty conversation we mentioned. Was I was walked into a liquor store, and I saw the tall bottle shape of a white horse on the shelf, and it looked like they had just pulled these out of the back room. the the what? The labels are perfect; like they are so beautiful. And, you know, did a quick check, and it looks like they're from mid-80s. Wow. And they are fantastic. I was really blown away by those. I have, in the last couple of days, pretty much killed half a bottle. And then nice. told some people about it, and then we went back and cleared the store out. <laughs> yeah. Because they're like, wait, what? Let's try that. Yeah. And then, so yeah, that, that, that got me really excited recently, was uh, finding some, old, some like, mid-80s white horse, which was surprisingly very good awesome. now this is a scotch is that what yeah is? so uh white horse is a blended scotch that's been around for forever diageo owns it now uh, one of the core components of it is lagavulin and mm. so back in the i've got a bottle from the 70s so that's you know quality 60 70s lagavulin in in those ones in the 80s that's like you know 70s 80s lagavulin distill it in in the white horse so it has a nice character and when you're looking at stuff like the the 70s white horse you're dealing with Lagavulin when they still had in-house floor maltings before they export before they uh decided to uh stop doing the in-house and just get all their maltings from Port Ellen maltings so you've got different characters in them and if you go pre-70s then you've got old malt mill whiskey in there too which is a, a dead distillery that pretty much uh, there's like a handful of people in the world that have the bottles of it, and you'll never see them. <laughs> Though if they do end up ever hitting the market, they're gonna go for like six figures. Wow, that's amazing. I mean, reject uh, Lagavulin sounds delicious to me, especially because it's a pretty cheap, uh, cheap blend and scotch as well. So that, yeah. that sounds great. Oh no, it was it was fantastic. So that's something I got super excited about recently. Opening that up, and I was fully expecting it to suck. <laughs> and then I opened it I was like, holy cow, it doesn't suck. 
I am a very <laughs> happy person right now. And I picked this up for $11. What? Damn. Nice. Yeah, that's, that's cheap, though. That, I mean, that's, yeah. wow. And wow. Then I, yeah. That was, well, I got mine for 11 the, the rest of the cash ended up um, costing me 20 a bottle. Store owner was like, wait yep. a minute. You're, you came, you came right back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That happens a lot. Like it, wow. I, when I found like dusty caches, like I've gone mm-hmm. out, bought them, like, oh man, I should go buy more. And I'll come back in a week. And the guy's like, yeah, I, I added five bucks to everything. Like, damn it. <laughs> I should have cleaned you out the second I saw it. <laughs> oh man. See, and we would not know anything about that. We also would not know anything about collecting dusties because I don't think it's something that the Liquor Control Board of Ontario um, <laughs> right. d- does, and yeah. um, they uh, they would fix their prices, but that's crazy. Man. Yeah, control states, um, you know, I, I, I come from Utah, that's where you know, I grew up. Control states, they don't have dusties, because since they're owned by the state, they're constantly going through oh, yeah. their oh, inventory, yeah. and if they have that's stuff that sat on the shelf a little too long, they sell it back to the distributor. Yes. And then, so they, you know, they don't exist, which is why in a lot of the, the underground, uh, dusty black markets, mm-hmm. you see a lot of people buying them who live in control states because right. they've never gotten to experience them. Right. It makes sense. And which yeah. is why they pay crazy money for them, which, right. I mean, it, it, and I get it because if you've never had it, you really want to. Like mm-hmm. I could walk around LA and pick up bottles of bourbon deluxe all day long. Wow. Like I could just, I could come home with cases of it. I just, there's so many shops that have it sitting on the shelves. And mm-hmm. so for us, it's like, eh, I can go, if I want a liter of it, I can go buy a liter <laughs> from the 1970s for 12 bucks. I don't care. Right. It's here everywhere. Right. But then someone that lives in a control state that doesn't have that luxury, you know, they're like, I'll pay you $200 for it. Like I just I want to get it in because yeah, it, it's yeah. all a matter of perception. You know, have you had it? Have you do you have the experience to have been like, eh, it's okay, right, yeah. right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Oh man. So it's 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 a very interesting thing to to just watch. Thank you so much Thank for coming you, on. Um, you can find Josh on thewhiskeyjug.com. It's uh, spelled with an e. Um, really a fantastic site. I mean, the, the amount of reviews on there, are not just bourbon, uh, but, but scotches and, and whiskeys from around the world. It's a really, really great site. Um, and yeah, thank you much. Thank you so much for coming on, Josh. Yeah, thank, thank you. Josh. I was always happy to be here. Raise the roof down